Matthew chapter 2, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. They said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, had quieted them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. When you have found him, bring he, me word again, that I might come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And they were come into the house. They saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, and frankincense, and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country. So this morning we're going to look at the visit of the wise men. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. We thank you for the record that you've given us of when God became a man and dwelt among us. When God revealed, when you revealed yourself to us through your written word in the person of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray today that as we look into the word of God, that you might encourage and challenge us as even as, that we might be even as these wise men. That we might seek Him. That we might worship Him. Give the honor and glory due unto His name. We thank You and praise You for what You do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the incarnation, that is the birth of Jesus Christ, or the Son of God coming into the world, really kind of showed the world in a sad state of affairs. There's no room at the inn, so he's born in the stable. And Herod is troubled, and all Jerusalem with him when they heard the news of this one that was to be born, king of the Jews. And actually, Herod tries to kill him. There's a reason why he wanted to know, and that's because he wanted to kill him. Uh, if you read the rest of this chapter, it talks about Herod then goes and kills all the children in Bethlehem under two years old because the wise man did not go back and tell him where they found him. Uh, Herod, this, this time, this Herod, of course, was quite the character. Uh, one commentator said this, he was wealthy, quote, he was wealthy, politically gifted, intensely loyal, and an excellent administrator, and clever enough to remain in good graces of successes, successive Roman emperors. His famine relief was superb. He was building projects, including the temple, which he began around 20 B.C., were admired even by his foes. They loved power. 
inflicted incredibly heavy taxes on people and resented that fact that many Jews considered him a usurper. In his last year, suffering an illness that compounded his paranoia, he turned to cruelty and in fits of rage and jealousy killed close associates, unquote. In fact, it was said, quoted, that Augustus, the Roman emperor, had said bitterly, quote, that it was safer to be Herod's pig than his son, unquote. He was a ruthless monster. Ruthless. As things begin to stir as to when Christ is born, you know, Christ has not spoken a word. He's not wrought a miracle. He's not complained of a single doctrine. But when he was born, at the very first, well, as yet you hear nothing but infant cries, Spurgeon says, quote, because see nothing but infant weakness, still his influence upon the world is manifest. When Jesus was born, there came wise men from the east, and so on. There's infinite power even in the infant Savior, unquote. And of course, at this time, there was a great expectation of a Messiah, of a ruler to be born. Uh, historians, Roman historian uh, Suetonius wrote, quote, there had spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world, unquote. Another Roman Tacitus, another Roman historian of that period wrote, quote, Many were persuaded that it was contained in the ancient books of the priests, that at that very time the East should prevail and that someone should proceed from Judea and possess the dominion. Unquote. You know, the interesting thing is, it isn't the priests in Jerusalem who were seeking to find where Jesus was and instigating a search as to the time of his birth, but wise men from the east. Wise men from the east. You know, it seems, you know, that though this was prophesied, that only a few in Israel seemed to understand. Of course, the shepherds were notified. Simeon was was understood that the Messiah was to come. In fact, the Lord had promised him that he would see the Messiah before he died, and he was an old man. And Anna likewise. And then we have these men from the east. Uh, we don't know exactly who these men were. It just tells us they were wise men from the east. Evidently, they were very learned men, probably men that studied the stars. But, but there is, of course, a few misconceptions uh, as we consider this, this passage, and I'll just give them out to you briefly. Uh, it, it, the Bible seems to indicate here they didn't come to the manger. They came to the house. Verse 11 says, When they were come into the house... They saw the young child. So they didn't come to the manger. Uh, this is a young child. And there's a reason why Herod killed all those up to two years old. Jesus may have been as, as old as a year and a half, two years old at this, at this time. Uh, frankly, I probably think he was under a year. And, I, and the reason for that is the time of travel from the east. Uh, and that would be four to six months. 
That's, that's, that's just my conjecture. I have no scripture to prove that. But I believe it is obvious that they didn't come to a manger. Second misconception we have is, and of course, you know, people say a lot of things in songs, they didn't follow the star all the way from the east. It says in verse 2, where is saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And then again in verse 7, then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. So they didn't follow the star to Jerusalem. They saw the star in the east and, and, and knew, understood that it was a sign of this king to be, that was to be born. And they came to Jerusalem and they came for certain reasons. And I, and I, we'll get to that in a minute. But the star appeared, but it didn't, they didn't follow the star to Jerusalem. After all, Jerusalem wasn't the right place to go. Because he wasn't born in Jerusalem. Of course, the other thing here, the Bible says, or the uh, people say there were three. The Bible doesn't say that. We don't know how many there were. There may have been 50. There may have been, you know, we don't really know. It really doesn't matter. But I want to notice several things. First of all, they came seeking the king of kings. In verses 1 and 2, it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. So these men, seeking the king of kings, seeking to worship a king, they came at great expense and sacrifice. The Bible says they came from the east and they saw his star in the east. And, you know, if you look at a map of Israel, to the east is Babylon, Persia, uh, most likely places where they came from. And that is, according to Ezra, four months' journey. It's four months' journey in those. It was a long and dangerous uh, mission to travel that far. Uh, when Ezra was preparing to make that trip back to, to Israel, the land of Israel, to establish worship again in Israel, when it was sent back by Cyrus the king, it says they, they met by the river and they, and they prayed and fasted for three days, seeking the, the safety and protection of the God of heaven to protect them by the way. Because it was a four to six months journey. And a dangerous one. So these men came at great expense and sacrifice. They weren't coming on a whim. I believe they had some very reliable evidence to support their beliefs that a king was born in Bethlehem. Secondly, it tells us that they came to worship him. Verse 2 says, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. To worship means to reverence or to adore. You know, they, they came to worship him or to, to, to reverence him as a sovereign. And they considered them subjects of this sovereign. They came to bow before him, to pay them homage, to pay him worship as the king of kings. They didn't come with their own expectations or ideas of what this king should do or how he would rule. They came as subjects. Their only expectation is, where is he? Where is he? 
You know, many expected a king in that day. But they had conditions prescribed to what they expected from that king. They expected, as the Romans historians did and, and, and were quoted, they, they expect, expected a king that would possess dominion, that would rule the world, that would de- deliver us from the Romans. That's what the, 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 the children of Israel were looking for. That's what the nation of Israel as a whole was looking for. Looking for someone to deliver us from the Romans. They weren't in consideration of a Savior who would deliver them from their sin. Just the burden and consequences of their sin. You know, there's a lot of people in the world that they want, they want deliverance from their sin, but all they want is just deliverance from their sin. They don't want a Savior. In other words, they wanted Him on their terms, not them to come to Him on their terms. They wanted a God that fit their ideas, their feelings, their, their purse. Their purse. With these wise men, they came to worship Him, to give the reverence due His name. You know, it kind of reminds me, you know, many of the children of Israel kind of remind me of Malachi chapter 1, where he says the priests, they, they, they worship by their means. In other words, by their terms, what they thought was right. They devised their own will. They brought their, what they thought was acceptable as a sacrifice. Even if it was lame and blind, they brought it to God and, and thought He should accept it. When, and God had set standards that was what was acceptable. See, God has set standards in His Word as what is acceptable worship to Him. We don't set the standards. He does. We don't legislate the Word of God. We just execute it. No, these wise men, they came to worship Him. To bow before Him as subjects. As one from whom they would take their direction, their orders, if you will. Secondly, I want you to notice that they followed the light of the word. Notice in verse uh, uh, 2, or verse 1 it says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, you might say, well, why did they come to Jerusalem? Uh, again, the star didn't lead them to Jerusalem. Uh, and, and they said, we have seen his star... It's interesting, his star in the east. And uh, how do they know that there was to be a king of the Jews born? Well, if you go back some 500 years or so, 500 years or so, you remember the Jews were carried away to Babylon. But the Jews, whenever they went, they took with them their writings, the scriptures. They took with them the scriptures. They carried them with them. And so, they would have access to these scriptures. An interesting thing is, in Numbers chapter 24, in the prophecy of Balaam, 
Numbers 24 and verses 15 through 25, Balaam prophesied concerning the children of Israel in uh, Numbers 24, verse 15, it says, And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, The man whose eyes are open hath said, He hath said, which heard the words of God, and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. Notice this phrase. There shall come a star out of Jacob. And what's interesting about that word star? It's capitalized. That word star is capitalized. That means it's a person or a place, something like that. But it's obviously talking about a person. There should be a star rise out of Jacob. Come a star out of Jacob. And a scepter, that speaks of a king, shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Seth. And it, and it goes on. Uh, so out of Jacob shall rise this star that's going to subdue and rule all nations, is what Balaam prophesied there. And of course, uh, they would have had the prophecies of Isaiah, uh, which spoke of... Uh, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of his kingdom as judgment there shall be no end. They also would have had access to Daniel's writing. Look at Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9. And I believe this is how they knew that this was the time. Daniel 9 and verse 25. Daniel 9, 25. <clears throat> well, let's back up to verse 24. It says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to, make, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and seal the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, that is referring to, he said, you know, Daniel, from, from a certain time, and he's going to give that time, from that, 70 weeks, or there's 490 years. 70 weeks of years. 70 times 7, 490 years. And the, the, the transgression, now this has to do with Israel, not church, or churches. It has to do with Israel. It's going to make an end of Israel's iniquity or rebellion against God. It's going to take 490 years. That's what he's saying. To anoint the most holy, that is to anoint Jesus as king on the throne of David. So we're speaking here, this is referring to after the tribulation. Now, but notice what else, know therefore understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, that would be in the commandment given by Cyrus, we believe, to go and rebuild Jerusalem. Until... The Messiah, the Prince, shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. That's 69 weeks. And after three score and two weeks, Messiah, verse 26, Messiah shall be cut off. Speaking of the crucifixion. So, he's going to be born. After the 69 years, he's going to be born. The Prince shall be seven weeks and three and two weeks. 
The street shall be built again, the wall, even in troublous times. You know, they, they lived in trouble. They lived under control of the Gentiles all this time, but they were able to rebuild. The temple was rebuilt. There was a temple when Jesus came on the scene. There was a temple, Herod's temple. And, and so, but, but it says he's going to be cut off. That, that speaks of the crucifixion. And then it says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city. We believe that was Titus, 70 A.D. And the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be a, with a flood under the end of the wars and desolation of the term. And then it goes on, verse 27, talks about the Antichrist. Going to confirm covenant with a week. That'll be the seven years of the tribulation. That's a week, week of years. So he gives a date here. Really, what, what we see here, there's, there's dates given. And, and I didn't take the time to go into all the details. But if you figure from the command of Cyrus to rebuild and restore Jerusalem and the worship of Jerusalem until the time of the Messiah is 69 weeks of years. That's what, 430? I can't remember exactly. 430-some years. And Bible scholars that are more scholarly than I am have figured out that's to the time that Christ was crucified. So how do these men know? The scriptures. They knew. By the way, the priests knew too. But they didn't want a rival. They had an agenda. Just like many in our country have an agenda. They had their own agenda. And it wasn't according to the law of God. You know, Paul would go on and say that Israel has a zeal of God, but not according to what? Knowledge. No, it's not according to the Word of God. So the reason the priests and the, and, and, and the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem weren't talking about this and weren't prepared for this is because they had their own agenda. But here's these Gentiles from the land of the east, probably Babylon or Persia, who had access to Daniel's writings. Daniel would have been there. Daniel had quite a quite a uh, ministry there amongst the, even the kings, the wealthy and well-known people. And they would have had access to Daniel's writings. In fact, he wrote them in Aramaic. Their language. And so they would have, could have known from Daniel's writings, okay, there's going to be a king born. In Israel, according to the scriptures, there's going to be a king born in Israel at this time. And so they began to look for him. And see, the reason they came to Jerusalem is Jerusalem is mentioned in the prophecy. Bethlehem's not. They had to go to Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 to understand that he's not to be born in Jerusalem, but Bethlehem. And if you were, if you were just a human being, you were thinking, okay, we're thinking about Israel. What's the capital city of Israel? What's the likely place for a king to be born? Jerusalem. So they went on what knowledge they had from the scriptures they had. They didn't follow the star to Jerusalem. They followed the word of God. You know, many there's many scriptures. In the Old Testament, the scripture, the Old Testament scriptures is full of references to the Messiah. 
Psalm 72, verse 10. The kings of Tarshish and of the Isles shall bring presents. The king of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And here we have these wise men from the east coming and they fall down. When they see him, they fall down and worship him. Psalm 41 tells us that he'd be betrayed by a friend. Yea, mine own, Psalm 41, 9. Yea, mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Of course, we know that's fulfilled in Luke. Chapter 2, 20, 22 and verse 48. When Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? They understood that he was to be an offering, or was to be a sacrifice for sin, Isaiah or Psalm 40, verse 6 says, Sacrifice and offering thou dost not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, but burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. And if you read Hebrews chapter 10, it's almost the exact same wording. And it says, Christ hath once suffered for sin. That he might bring us unto God. He was a stone rejected that became the headstone. Psalm 118.22, the stone which the builders refused become the headstone of the corner. And Jesus said to the Pharisees in Matthew 21.42, Jesus saith to them, did you never read the Scriptures? You know, it's like these guys never read the Scriptures. They supposedly made their livelihood by studying the Scriptures. And he says, didn't you ever read the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. The resurrection is spoken of. Psalm 16.10 Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one. And again, the holy and one are capitalized. Thy holy one to see corruption. It's not talking about David. It's talking about the Lord. And of course, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? And so, there was many scriptures that prophesied concerning this one. Ezekiel talks about the prince that shall come. There's a multitude of Bible witnesses and prophets of old that prophesied these things. You see, Proverbs 11.14 says, Where there's no counsel is, the people fall but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. We have, they had multitude of counselors in the scriptures they had that prophesied concerning this king. And so they come, following the word of God, not the star. They didn't follow the star in Jerusalem. They saw a star. As a sign. And I don't know all I know about that. But there is some kind of sign in the heavens that he's born. And they said, that's it. Third thing we see here, they acknowledge him as the Son of God. Look, as you will, again at Matthew chapter 2. In verse 11, And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, 
They presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. See, they acknowledged him for who he was. And there's a threefold recognition here by the wise men to the Lord Jesus Christ, to that babe in a manger. Gold, and it's represented by the gifts that they bring. Gold, the most precious of metals, is symbolic of royalty. One commentator said this, quote, It is easy to see why gold is an appropriate gift for Christ, Jesus Christ. Gold is the metal of kings. When gold was presented to Jesus, it acknowledged his right to rule. The wise man knew Jesus was the king of kings. And when gold was presented to him, it acknowledged his right to rule over them. Unquote. You see, by giving him gold, that what they're saying is, this is the king of kings. This is the Lord of lords. Or Psalm 72 tells us that the kings of Tarshish and of the Isles shall bring presents. The king of Sheba shall offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. And we see a precursor. That's, of course, talking about the millennial reign, I believe, but in particular, we see a precursor of that of here, of the wise men falling down. They, when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him. This is the Messiah. This is the Prince. They recognize Him as sovereignty. That This is the one that's spoken of, of the increase of His government. There shall be no end. This is the one that they, they recognize as the ancient of days, the stone cut out of the mountains that would destroy all the kingdoms of this world. They didn't come to play and cuddle with a newborn. They came to worship came to worship, to submit themselves to Him. There's a second thing they brought, and that's frankincense. Now frankincense, of course, is an incense. It's kind of obvious it's in the name. It was used in the worship in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 30 and verses 34 through 38. Exodus chapter 30, verse 34, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Take unto these sweet spices, stack in, in goblin, these sweet spices with pure frankincense, of each there shall be a light weight. Thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together pure and holy. Thou shalt beat some of it very small, and put of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation, where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves. According to the composition thereof, it shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that, the smell thereof shall even be cut off from his people. So this was this frankincense has to do with the temple worship and it speaks of intercession for the Lord. And it wasn't to be made by just anyone. It was only for the priests to be used in worship. And so it speaks of priesthood, or intercession. So again, these wise men understood that Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. He wasn't cut off for his own sin. Jesus wasn't crucified for his own sin. He was crucified for our sin. For the sins of the whole world. 
course, they could have had access to Isaiah chapter 53, which clearly defines that he was, a, that he was an offering for sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, or 14 through 16, Paul speaks of our high priest, the one who intercedes for us. Seeing then we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but in all points tempted as like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for things and thing, for men and things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way for that he himself also is compassed with infirmity. By reason hereof he ought, as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. No man taketh this honor unto himself but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And he saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So again, they recognize him here as the high, great high priest, the one who could make or bridge the gap between them and God, the Creator. You know, 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You can't get to God your own way. You need a mediator, one to intercede for you. A priest. Not a man, but the God-man. And these, these wise men recognized him as their priest, the one who could get them, bridge the gap between them and a holy God. And they recognized him by offering frankincense. The third thing they brought was myrrh. Now myrrh is a gum-like substance, described as a gum-like substance used to embalm the dead. He might say, what an awful gift to bring a young child. But again, they didn't come to play or cuddle with a child. They were bringing embalming ointment because they recognized this child is born. He's born to die. You see, not only do they recognize him as the king, the sovereign Lord, and the one who would bridge the gap between them and God, but they recognize that to do that, this one would have to die. This was the sacrifice for sin. This was the fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies. He's the fulfillment of all those Old Testament sacrifices that could never take away sin. But this man, after he offered himself, hath forever sat down on the right of hand of God. And he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. 
Myrrh was also used as a narcotic to dull pain, which was offered to Jesus when he was on the cross, but he refused it, that and vinegar, that he might taste death for every man. You know, Matthew 26, again, verse 12, there's a woman anointed him with ointment. And Jesus said in that situation, this she did for my burial. My burial. You see, these wise men understood from the Scriptures they had that this was the king that the prophets foretold. This would be the one who would be the great high priest, who would bridge the gap between them and a holy and righteous God. This would be the one who would come to take away sin forever by the sacrifice of Himself. This is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And by their gifts, you know, with their worship, you know, if they had just brought these gifts and not worship, would like, okay, something wrong here. But no, you know, as soon as they saw him, it says they fell down and worshipped him. Why? Because they recognized and acknowledged him as who he is. The Son of God. The Son of Man that came to die. For sin. They had multitude of witnesses in the scriptures. You know, truth is available. It's apparent if you're willing to receive it. The sad thing, as still is true, the majority in that day didn't see it. It wasn't apparent to them. Why? Because they had their own agenda. They forced their own interpretations on these scriptures. You know, these wise men took the scriptures for what they were, for what they stated, and embraced it and because of that, they understood that this is the God-man come into the world to give us life, a ransom for our sin. How do you view Him this morning? Is He your Lord? You know, Jesus said, Why well, call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Is He your Lord? Do you recognize Him? Do you submit to Him as your King? And you His subject? Is He your Savior and Lord? He can't be your Lord if He's... He can't be your Savior if He's not your Lord. You can't split Him up. He's one person. But that one person is the Lord, the God-man, and the Savior. Is he yours this morning?